this is Dr. Bob Evans, and welcome to our podcast, Parental Alienation from Couch to Courtroom and Beyond. We will discuss the resisting and refusing dynamic, commonly referred to as parental alienation, how you'll know it's happening in your case, and what can be done about it. Parental alienation can cause stress and trauma in high-conflict cases. These podcasts focus on how attorneys and mental health professionals can support families and children. Well, welcome to, I believe, episode 19. We are going to talk a little bit about parental alienation again and some of the uh, issues for mental health professionals, as well as people who are going through the process. But I did want to remind you about our continuing education program for mental health professionals this June, uh, June 16th in Colorado. It's going to be at Fort Collins. You can get the information uh, about the program. We're doing a pre-conference. Colleagues and I are doing a pre-conference workshop um, for six hours, beginning at nine, ending at three, and then you can go on to the uh, PASG conference if you want to continue there, um, which is probably what most people are doing. So go to naopas.com, and probably the opening page will tell you a little bit about the program that we're doing. It's going to be um, therapy with families in divorce and what they didn't teach you in, in graduate school, or probably more properly stated would be what they should have taught you. We're finding out that parent alienation is not being taught in graduate schools, it's not being taught to clinical psychologists, and so on. So other mental health professionals, they're not learning about it until they come out into the real world, and then they apply what they think they know in the clinical world, and that doesn't work. It makes it actually worse. And if you've, you've been to a therapist ordered by a court or even not, you'll find that uh, more often than not, not always, but more often than not, the alienation gets exacerbated, it's worse down the road. So again, we're going to be talking to therapists about what to look for, what to what not do, what to do, what not to do, etc. How to keep them out of trouble, because it could be an ethical violation if they choose to proceed without uh, learning about this phenomenon. So I want to talk a little bit about parent um, alienation. <clears throat> I remember last time I talked about how intuitive it is, and so I think it's important to understand, first thing is that alienated, alienating parents, favored parents, tend to present very well in court, as well as to their attorneys, as well as to evaluators, to mental health professionals. They, prevent, they present what we refer to as the four C's. They present uh, in a very cool, calm, calming, and convincing manner. Unfortunately, the targeted parent, the rejected parent, is so distraught over what's going on in their lives, they, uh, they usually present with what we refer to as the four A's. They're, they seem to be anxious, they're agitated, frequently angry, uh, with good reason, and, and afraid. Sometimes they don't even know what this thing is. I've had clients call me and only call me after they said, I finally found out what this thing's called. And, and they couldn't understand why their child was, uh, however old, 5, 10, 15 years old, all of a sudden rejecting them. It just didn't make any sense. 
That's why we refer to it as being counterintuitive. Cl clinicians need to know specifically how this area of, of pathology, if you will, uh, and they very frequently make the mistake of calling this an enmeshment uh, or a healthy bonding. In other words, you know, the rejected parent um, not, is, is going to make accusations about the favored parent. The favored parent will appear to be uh, presenting with a healthy, healthy bond between them and the children. And it's more likely it's more of a pathological uh, enmeshment, which is, is a very serious psychological problem. Uh, it, it, this is a, it's a family dynamic in which a, a parent essentially engulfs the child. Uh, it's very common in severe alienation cases. It's sometimes seen in moderate cases. Uh, it entails a real pathologically dependent parent who treats the child as a friend, as a companion, uh, as an equal, rather than as a, a child. And they don't have a parent, normal parent-child relationship. The enmeshed parent typically adultifies or parentifies the um, enmeshed child. In other words, they, they treat him like another parent. And, and that's why we start to see how the alienated child begins to treat the rejected parent as a peer, or even as a subordinate in many cases. In some cases, it's really awful. The, the enmeshed parent may seek to keep the child dependent uh, in kind of like an infant role. And so um, treating the child as, as younger than their chronological age. Either way, the enmeshed parent treats the child in a way that is not age appropriate and puts the parent's needs first, not the child's. And by definition, this involves severe boundary violations of the child by the parent to the point where the parent not only violates the child's boundaries, but erases them, obliterates them totally. Uh, it's, it's really a form of child abuse that's a very serious matter. And you'll see this manifested sometimes in the child because they'll have absolutely no respect for uh, authority figures, teachers, law enforcement, judges. They, they become socially uh, inappropriate totally because in their head, they're equal to the favored parent. Um, and, and the favored parent fails to appreciate that their relationship is way too close. It's too pathological. And they, they mistake it more in terms of, um, you know, this, this is just their loving, bonded relationship with their child. Um, often the, the, that the parent and child have a, um, they think they have a healthy relationship and the enmeshed, the enmeshed parent um, displays great empathy for the child. In fact, enmeshment is anything but healthy. It's a potentially life-threatening psychiatric emergency, quite frankly. So, um, even, even in the face of abuse, children rarely reject a parent unless there is a powerful alienating influence. This is a, sort of a, a major factor that mental health professionals need to understand, and they don't. They run off and report this as an abuse case when they need to take a, a step back and take a look at what's going on. Um, so normal children rarely re reject a parent. That's just counter, Steve Miller used to say it's counter instinctual. Uh, when they do, the behaviors of strange children is markedly different than the behavior of an alienated child. A strange children in which that 
rejection is justified is significantly different than behavior from an alienated child. Uh, children almost never do anything counter-instinctually. Our survival is based on it, uh, unless, unless they are induced to do something by a third party. Children rarely reject non-abusive parents. That's interesting because what you find in these alienation cases is the uh, rejected parent is frequently uh, accused of being abusive. Um, there's a large body of research that supports the, the evidence that um, uh, even abused kids don't reject the parent. There's a, a whole litany of them. Um, but anyway, evaluators, mental health professionals, judges need to understand in the absence of abuse or very significant neglect by a rejected parent, uh, in the presence of multiple signs of alienation in the child, most cases of severe alignment are due to alienation, not estrangement. In cases in which the child rejects the parent for legitimate reasons, not merely resists contact, but openly rejects the parent, the, the estranged child doesn't resemble the alienated child, uh, except in very, very superficial ways. Furthermore, the uh, uh, specialist in alienation and estrangement is a clinician who is highly skilled in distinguishing between the two. The distinction is usually obvious. By contrast, as a result of the counterintuitive nature of her alienation, non-specialists will often get the situation wrong, if not backwards. The rejected parent gets blamed. I can't tell you how many cases I've had where the rejected parent, the targeted parent, is blamed for what's going on, when in fact it doesn't make any sense. It's just, again, it's counter counter logical uh, in cases of severe alienation children typically align with the abusive parent not the non-abusive parent so it's sort of like being fearful of upsetting the uh, favored parent or the alienated parent for fear of what kind of consequences they might have so you might think that that's implausible that they align themselves with the abusive parent but it's really well validated and flows logically from uh, what we've been talking about. Children are generically wired to cling to their parents, even to cling to abusive parents. They might even fear that parent. They might fear that that parent might leave or abandon them. If a child is strongly aligned with one parent and has rejected the other parent in the absence of abuse or severe neglect by the disfavored parent, there is a substantial probability that the favorite parent is an aligning parent, alienating parent, according to uh, parental alienation. That should be, parental alienation should be the leading hypothesis, if not the leading hypothesis in such cases. Generally, it meets the parent alienation, meets the criteria. I've written about this. I've written a paper about it, for criteria for child abuse. Uh, there doesn't seem to be much controversy among specialists in child maltreatment. You have a child who's being encouraged, reinforced to reject a parent, a, a loving, caring parent, and being encouraged to reject that parent for the benefit of an alienating, favorite parent. That's child abuse. And there doesn't seem to be much of a discussion about that. Um, there are uh, definitions of psychological maltreatment in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. 
of Mental Disorders, the fifth edition, published by the American Psychiatric Association. We can have a discussion all about that just by itself. Uh, it's a document used primarily for the benefit of insurance companies. And, and it's almost as if it's, it's providing steps, quote, criteria for various disorders and, and removing clinical judgment. In other words, if you got A, B, C, D, and E, it's a checklist. A monkey could do it. Then you've got this disorder. And if you don't have those things, then you don't have disorder. There's no, there's no room for clinical judgment. And so uh, that's a whole topic unto itself that we could talk about. Um, it seems to me that given the fact that paralyzation is, is child abuse, it, it should be a, a number one priority of, of mental health organizations, graduate school programs, et cetera, et cetera, to provide education and training on this issue, but they're not. Um, so yeah. even, even when under a court order, traditional therapies are little, if any, benefit in regard to treating this form of abuse. How many times do I talk to clients and they come in and say, well, we're seeking a therapist. We're trying to get counseling or a therapist or the court's going to order a therapist. Um, the problem frequently is that anybody coming in applying typical family therapy, um, traditional counseling or therapy and not having a background in this disorder, they're going to make it worse. And they don't intend to. I'm not I'm not. I'm not trashing therapists and mental health professionals. They don't know about this phenomenon and they do what their clinical training tells them to do. They accept the disorder when it walks in the front door and they, they stay with it and run with it. And there's another whole conversation we could have because there's a big movement now about listening to the children. We have to listen to the children. And I, I briefly talked about listening to the children goes back to the Salem witch trials. And they listened to the children. And I was at seven, nine people lost their lives back then. In the 1980s, we had an epidemic of sex abuse allegations made against daycare centers. Uh, they were listening to the children. And we're now going into another era of listening to the children. And the research is uh, very, very clear. People like Stephen Cece and uh, Maggie Brook, uh, really have, have demonstrated clearly that uh, children are really unreliable witnesses, and, and especially in these kind of cases. And uh, interesting, there's a, a psychologist a professor out of uh, uh, Toronto University, uh, Lee Kong Lee, and he talks about how his research, he's been doing this for like 15, 20 years. No one, no one person no mental health professional, no psychologist, no law enforcement officer, no judge, no attorney, no teacher, no parent can tell if a child is lying. Nobody can tell if a child is lying. Interesting, I found some research that the closest, not in terms of children lying, the closest a professional could come to determine better than chance, slightly better than chance, with Secret Service agents, which is interesting. It'd be interesting to find out what their training is. And it was just above 50%, just above chance. Whereas everyone else, everyone else was had no chance whatsoever. The, the probability of them identifying somebody telling the truth 
particularly a child, was you know 10% at best. It was like really very statistically poor. Well, listen, this is Memorial Day weekend. I don't want to keep you any longer, but I want to do remind you, please take a look at naopas.com. You'll see the course, the pre-conference course that we're offering in June. I think it's June 15th, uh, which is a Saturday. No, no, it's a Friday. Right. And then the, the conference goes Saturday, Sunday, uh, Saturday and Sunday. And um, the conference is put on by uh, PASG. You could go to PASG.info to learn about the conference in uh, Fort Collins. And you can go to naopas.com to learn about our pre-conference workshop. Well, I hope this was informative. I hope you all have a happy, healthy Memorial Day weekend. And until next time, you take care. Thank you very much. And I appreciate your uh, coming. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on this topic, please visit www.drbobevans.com or www.naopas.com. We offer classes for both legal and mental health professionals to help educate them on the signs and strategies of parental alienation and how to move forward for a healthier environment for the children of divorce. Please visit www.naopas.com and sign up for our courses and use coupon code PODCAST for a 50% discount. <music>